0: As you all know, there's three or four of us that fill in when, when Hunter's out, which means I usually get to get up here about once a year, and a few weeks ago when he texted me, uh, asked me if I would preach this morning, I said, yeah, man, I'd be glad to. It's actually been a little while since I've gotten to, and the next question is always, where, where will we be? And uh, he said, well, we're actually going to be in Lamentations. I said, oh. Okay, well, in the back of my head, I was thinking, well, maybe maybe we'll be in Lamentations 3. That's some of my favorite verses in the Bible, is Lamentations 3. Uh, maybe it'll work out. I said, what, what chapter? Uh, probably chapter 2. Uh, oh, okay, well, actually, I think I am busy that day. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I joke about it, and, and you all know what I mean. But one of the things I love about God's Word, we talked about this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, is that it, it doesn't edit out the hard parts, right? God's Word is real. Um, it does not edit out the real, it doesn't edit out the hard. Uh, We tend to do that, right? We tend to do that in our own lives um, when we tell our story, but even sometimes the church at large can do that, right? We kind of edit out the hard parts of the Bible and focus on the fun stuff and can actually prove this to you. Uh, By the way, that's why it's so important to go book by book, verse by verse, so we don't pick and choose just the parts we like. We need the hard stuff sometimes. And by hard, I don't mean hard on us, just uh, we'll, we'll get to more of that in a minute. But um, I can actually prove it to you that we do this. So quick quick poll, show of hands. Um, how many people here have heard of and could probably quote me, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? It's a great verse, right? Might be on your Bible cover. It's a great verse. Nothing wrong with that verse. Um, but as you remember from last week, Jeremiah is actually in context here to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Jeremiah's prophesying to God's people, repent, 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 they don't. And so we wind up in limitations. More on that in a minute too. But how many of you guys know Jeremiah 29.10, the verse right before that? Anybody? I, I don't. I didn't, anyway, before kind of studying up on this and reading through Jeremiah a while back. Jeremiah 29.10 says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil. The people he's saying this to, I have plans for you, I have a purpose for you, I love you, they're probably not going to be alive when they come back, right? He just told them it's going to be 70 years before you come back here. And so most of us in this room won't be here 70 years from now, right? And so. If Jeremiah is saying, let's say it's the Lord, right, 70 years Babylon's going to take over. So the Bible doesn't edit that part out. Um, we tend to do that. But if we're willing to be honest with ourselves this morning, uh, we can relate to where we find God's people in the book of Lamentations. Um, where really all they can do is pray. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and really, Lamentations is more eulogies than Poems or prayers. A eulogy is a more accurate way to describe it, but they're just simply crying out to God as a result of what? Just complete devastation in their life. Why? It's nobody's fault but their own. Their sin found them out, their sin caught up to them. They know it. You ever been there? Um, The world's just fallen in, sin caught up to you, the consequences are a hundred times worse than you thought they would be. Satan lied, we believed him. Uh, But God is gracious. And we'll talk more about that too. But Satan is the father of lies, right? Lie is his native language. He's fluent in it. He's good at it. Sometimes we believe it and we fall. So I can relate to where God's people find themselves this morning. And I hope, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, I hope you can too. But before we jump into chapter 2, I want to back up a little bit and talk about exactly where Lamentations fits into the Bible. Uh, Hunter mentioned this last week. But I want to dive in a little deeper, I guess in a way, back up even further. Uh, the Old Testament in your Bible is 39 books, okay? It's made up of 39 books. The first 17 tell the story of God's people, the Israelites. So from Genesis through Esther, it's just telling you the story of what happened. In your book, I just double-checked on mine this morning in Sunday school. Uh, your, your concordance in the front of your Bible even lists them this way, right? Genesis through Esther. So if you've ever sat down and just read the Old Testament straight through, you read the story, Genesis through Esther, and then you read the books of poetry, five books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, right? And then there's 17 prophets, major and minor prophets, they're broken down. But the books of poetry in the 17 books, the 17 prophets, fit within the timeline told in the first 17 books of the Old Testament. And so that's why when we read um, the book of Daniel, for example, and Hunter mentioned this last week, and we see King Nebuchadnezzar, wait a minute, we've heard of him before, um, Daniel and Jeremiah are way back here in the Old Testament, but we actually see the story of what's going on in the historical setting in 1st and 2nd Kings, so real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump in, I promise, but in 1st Kings 12, the nation of Israel is divided into two different kingdoms, okay, uh, Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. So Jeremiah, which I just mentioned, and Hunter mentioned a lot last week, because Jeremiah is prophesying during this time period we're we're talking about, right before they're taken over by the Babylonians, right, he's saying repent or it's going to be bad, repent or it's going to be bad, and they don't. So what happens? The southern kingdom of Judah falls because Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 605 B.C. So this is a real historical event. This isn't some story that's just for example. This has really happened, 605 B.C., Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. Okay? So, what happens? The Babylonians takes many of the people of Jerusalem into exile. They say, you're coming with us. And so, that was that 70-year period we actually just mentioned in Jeremiah, right, the verse we never heard of, Jeremiah 29-10. Um, that 70 years is three books occur, okay? Or at least the what's described in these books occurs during the Exile. Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And so you remember Daniel and the lions, Daniel, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some incredible stories there, especially as our culture becomes increasingly hostile to true biblical Christianity. A lot we can learn from Daniel. But Lamentations, where we find ourselves this morning, is written right after the kingdom of Judah has been taken captive by the Babylonians. Okay, So the hurt is still real, the hurt is still raw, and we're in specifically chapter 2 this morning. I already mentioned this, but each chapter is a different poem. Actually, a eulogy. Okay? And so, chapter 2 is broken down into three different parts. And that's, we're just going to walk through the three different parts this morning and talk about them. Okay? Verses 1 through 10, we see someone... It's, it's a voice of a narrator. Okay? And then 11 through 19, a prophetic voice speaks, presumably Jeremiah. And then in verse 20 through 22... Jerusalem collectively, praise to God. More on that too. But we'll just go each through each of these sections this morning and break them down. So first, let's read one through ten. Let's jump in here. Lementia- Lamentations chapter two. Gotta turn twice in my Bible here. Okay. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has been his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes, in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up, in, he has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid it in ruins, its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden laid in ruins his meeting place the lord has made zion forget festival and sabbath and in his fierce indignation he has burned king and priest the lord has scorned his altar disowned his sanctuary he has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces they raised a clamor in the house of the lord as on the day of festival the lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of zion he stretched out the measuring line he did not restrain his hand from destroying He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunken to the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. Some hard stuff. We just spent 20 minutes talking about the context and the backstory, but who does the narrator tell us who punished Jerusalem? Didn't we just say King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians? That's who took them, right? The Lord in his anger. He has cast down. He has not remembered. The Lord has swallowed up. He has brought down, he has cut down, he has withdrawn, he has burned like a flaming fire. He has been his bow. The Lord has become like an enemy, verse 5. This is such a big deal, right? We know that, obviously, it's a big deal. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see God fighting for his people, and more than just not fighting for them this time, he's become like an enemy. He is now fighting against them. Verse 6, he is laid in waste. Verse 7, the Lord has scorned his altar. And verse 8, the Lord determined to lay in ruins. Verse 10, the elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. don't even know what to say, right? You ever been there? I have, right? You're you're speechless. I don't even know what to say. This is terrible. (laughs) Why would God do this to his own people? Why would God do this? In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we find the answer uh, given to us by the author of Hebrews. In verse 5 through 11, just listen to this and see if we can apply this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves." that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So why did God do this? Why does God punish his own people? He loves them for their own good. That's hard, isn't it? That we may share in his holiness. What does God's discipline accomplish? author of Hebrews tells us it produces fruit. Right? What kind of fruit does it produce? The fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No kid has... Well, let me... Maybe yours has. I don't know. Mine haven't. I didn't. Whenever you're getting in in spanking or disciplined, in trouble. Anybody ever known of a kid who, uh, you know, during the middle of it, maybe just stops and says, You know, Dad, I just want to take a minute here and turn around. I just... I really want to thank you for how bad this hurts right now. Um, I know that this will really help me remember how bad this was, and I really appreciate how much you're proving your love for me. Okay, carry on. Uh, anybody, that ever happened? No? <laughs> okay, good. Gonna it hurts, right? It stings. I don't want it to hurt. I don't want it to sting. Just let me go. But Dad loves me. And he loves me enough to make sure I know how big of a deal this is. And to make sure I remember how bad it hurts. In fact, that's the point, right? So we will never forget the sting of sin. The Puritan, uh, Thomas Watson, well-known Puritan theologian, he has a famous quote, it's really simple, I really like it, I've always remembered it. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So the more bitter sin is, the sweeter Christ is. And so if we, on our own, we like our sin, we're running headlong into our sin, we're ignoring all the warnings he's sending us about our sin, we like the taste of our sin, if God loves us, he will make sure it becomes very bitter. Memorably bitter, because he loves us so we don't do it again. In verse 8, the Lord determined to lay in ruins. This was God's doing. Ultimately, not the Babylonians. So verse 11 through 19, in the voice of a prophet. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom? What can I say for you, to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken liken to you, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem." Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we long for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exhausted the might of your foes. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion let tears stream down like a torrent day and night give yourself no rest your eyes no respite arise cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street As many of you know um had our second child 10 months ago today actually second boy and uh, in order to step into my role as father, I've recently become obsessed with civil war It's just part of the journey. You know, after you're first born, it's your standard shorts, white tennis shoes becoming very concerned with your lawn. Uh, after the second, you've got to take it up a notch, all right? And there's other acceptable options: World War II history trains, for example. I chose civil war history. Uh, I don't know why. It just happened. The next step, and y'all haven't told Samantha this yet, but uh, the next step is getting into the reenacting scene. I'm uh, not, not sure we'll see where we go from here, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I've actually already bought the uniform and signed up, that's uh, not, <laughs> uh, I'm joking, okay, we got to make it to the end here and need an o- emotional break, uh, that's not true, that's tr- true, uh, but I did read a really interesting biography of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, I guess it was last year, Um, And one of Grant's most important and major victories was the Battle of Vicksburg, Mississippi. So some of you other Civil War people may may know where I'm going here, but Vicksburg, Mississippi is right on the Mississippi River. So it was vitally important, okay, because you could, from that city, had a lot of control over who could go up and down the Mississippi River, one of the main, obviously the main waterway in this part of the world. So Grant tries a couple different times to take the city by force. Just go get them, boys. It didn't work. The city's too well defended, okay? Tried more than once. All he had was lost men and no progress. So he comes up with another strategy. He says, I tell you what, we'll bring in some reinforcements, we'll completely surround the city, and we'll just wait them out. We'll set up camp. As long as no one is allowed in and no one is allowed out, what would eventually happen? They either starve or run out of bullets or both, all the above, even better, right? And it worked. After 47 days of sitting tight and not even fighting, on July 4th, 1863, almost 30,000 Confederate troops under Lieutenant General John Pemberton surrendered to Grant at Vicksburg. This is known, what he did, surround, cut off all supply lines, right, starve them out. This is known as a siege, When in 2 Kings, chapter 25, we see the fall of Jerusalem. We're told, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon defeated Jerusalem how? A two-and-a-half-year siege. So in verse 12, when we read these incredibly difficult words, baby, or verse 11, infants and babies faint in the streets. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. Children are literally begging for food and dying in their mother's arms. Why are they doing that? Ultimately, the sin of their parents, right? One of Satan's favorite lies is that no one will ever know about this. And even if they do, man, it's just gonna hurt you a little. You'll be all right. Sin affects more than just you. In Jeremiah 27, again, Jeremiah is telling the people, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. In Jeremiah chapter 27, he says, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the kings of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying in my name. With the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. What you believe matters. Who you listen to matters. People were listening to the prophets. They're listening to the wrong ones. They're listening to the false prophets. So, dads, especially here, spiritual leaders of your home, who you listen to matters. What you believe matters. Paul told Timothy a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Everybody thinks that's those guys over there that he's talking about, right? Well, those people over there think that that's us. So who are the true prophets, right? That's the difference between complete and utter destruction from our sin in obedience to God, right? Charles Spurgeon said, the sermon is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And so, in verse 14, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. prophets who did not who do not in this case prophets who did not call god's people to repent and turn from their sin led them straight into destruction the children are dying of starvation the men have been captured or killed complete devastation right <clears throat> so if anyone tells you don't worry about your sin you'll be okay run <laughs> leave go somewhere else Martin Luther uh, began the Protestant Reformation and you may have heard this in your history class but so he nails 95 theses to the door of the church in Germany, right? The very first thesis. very first thing on there. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Repentance is a big deal. (laughs) It's really our how we respond to God right when we've sinned more on that in a minute so in verse 5 the Lord has become like an enemy in verse 8 the Lord determined to lay in ruins in verse 17 the Lord has done what he purposed he has carried out his word so what does the prophet tell people to do what should we do when we're right here we feel like God's almost against us it's so bad Verse 19, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Pray. Pour out your heart to God. It's all we can do, right? Three more verses, 20 through 22. Jerusalem does so. Look, Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt this way? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summon as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. See, unimaginable thing. Women eating their own children. Bodies piled in the streets. The only picture I could think of uh, that might come close to giving us a picture of what this might look like would be the Holocaust. Right? We've seen those pictures of people's bodies literally just wasted, wasted away. Wasting away. Bodies literally piled up like just a pile of whatever, trash or whatever you would throw out. This complete devastation. And so, I really want to jump ahead to chapter 3, right? And leave on this high note of, hey, but here's what comes next on us. That's not where chapter 2 ends. Chapter 2 ends basically where it began. Um, it's heavy. Uh, it's, it's painfully heavy, right? Consequences have mounted up. It's, it's horrible. And so, some of you are right there this morning. Right? This is life. The rest of us can probably remember a time in our lives where we've been there. The question is, why are you there? Why were you there? Why do we remember being there? Why is it so bad? Why is it so bad that you'll never forget? Because God loves you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible... In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. <clears throat> Maybe it's just because I can relate, and, and y'all know this story, y'all have heard it. But in verses 14 through 20 here, I'm not going to read them all, but when the prodigal son, it says when the prodigal son has spent everything, it tells us earlier he would spent it all in reckless living. But a severe rant, famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. This guy, the prodigal sons at rock bottom, literally eating pig slop. A good Jewish boy would know pigs are unclean to begin with. He is not only working with them, he's eating their own food. Nobody's there to even give him five bucks for a Happy Meal, right? He's alone. Nobody comes to help, just him and the consequences of his decisions. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, this is important right here, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Confession. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Humility. Humility. And he arose and came to his father. Repentance is an action. Feeling bad is one thing. Doing something about it is another. Repentance is an action. He arose and he came to his father. And this is is why I love this story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Felt compassion on him. Ran and embraced him and kissed him. Some of you are a long way off this morning. And really, all of us are without Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're at rock bottom, if you've been devastated, your sin has caught up to you, you're right in the worst possible place. No one's coming to help. No one can help. It is what it is. And it's bad. That is God's grace to you. You didn't have to get caught. You could have kept getting away with it, right? Somebody's probably gotten away with it a lot longer than you ever did. But you didn't. You fell on your face. Why? He disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, it's easy to think when we're in that moment, in that spot, it's our own sin, it's our own fault. We know it. God's become almost like an enemy. It says like an enemy in chapter 2. God's fighting against us. Man, it feels like God put his love over here and now he's just beating on me and then, then he's going to go maybe pick it up later. I don't know. He doesn't put his love on hold to hurt us. He loves us by disciplining us. Right? You do this with your kids and God is not like us in this. We try to be like him in this. He is the perfect father. He doesn't discipline those who aren't his children whom he doesn't love. He disciplines the children whom he loves, and discipline hurts. Sometimes you uh, discipline your kids in a way that hurts, right? Why? Because you love them. And until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. He is reminding us of how horrible sin is. He wants what's best for us, which is more of him and less of sin. So repent and turn back to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've not gone too far. It's not too late. Don't wait. And if you're not there yet, don't wait till you get there. Stop now. There may still be consequences from your sin. Um, Maybe very serious ones. Maybe consequences that last the rest of your life. But... Repent, you can repent and come back to the one who can and has taken away the eternal consequences of our sin, which is a way bigger deal than the temporary li- lifetime ones. He has taken all the eternal wrath of the Father for us. And we know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let us turn from our sin and let us behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As this is a uh, heavy book and a heavy chapter and a really rather simple message this morning God disciplines those he loves so if you find yourself in the middle of discipline and pain, you feel like caused by God, maybe so maybe, maybe so, but if so that is him loving you, the same way a good father loves his children and reminds them of how big a deal what they're doing is, how bad it is Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word, that it is real, that it tells the whole story, that we can relate. But a part of that whole story is what you've done for us through Jesus Christ, and that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and will forgive us our sin. I pray you would help us to do that. I pray you would open our eyes and hearts to you. And God, that if there's anyone in here who has never um, repented of their sin and come to you for salvation through Jesus Christ, I pray that they would not wait. They would this morning, and that if you're showing them their sin and the devastation it's causing, they would see that as your grace to them. That would be how you open their eyes to yourself. And those of us who do follow you and believe in you. God, uh, Yet we still fall, I pray that we would continue a life of repentance and continually turning to you, wanting more of you and less of sin. Help us to do that. We know we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.